Hey, this is Zach Catanzaro. And I'm Walker Lukens. We're the hosts of Song Confessional, the only podcast where today's top songwriters turn your anonymous stories into original songs. This week, we've got a salacious tale of train platforms and anonymous hookups. Austin songstress Buffalo Hunt transforms the confession into a cinematic indie pop gem, exploring the dark pleasures of our bad decisions. Listen to Song Confessional at KUTX.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. This is Elizabeth McQueen, the host of this song. And if you're listening to this podcast the week that it comes out, the week of March 29th, 2016, I want to let you know that KUTX, the station where this podcast is made, is in the midst of a fund drive. We're raising money so that we can play cool music and make cool things like this podcast. So if you want to help make cool things happen, then please visit KUTX.org and become a member. Now, let's get this party started. Hello and welcome to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that changed their lives. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and in this episode of This Song, we're talking to James Petrali of White Denim and Roger Sellers, who now goes by the name Bayonne. They both just released records on the same day, March 25th, and they're also both Austin artists, which makes me, as an Austinite, incredibly happy. I mean, anyone who knows Austinites knows that we are filled to overflowing with hometown pride. James Petrali is the lead singer for White Denim. Like I said earlier, they have a new record out. It's called Stiff, and it has some great album art. And James chose a song that was revelatory for him in a couple ways. It showed him what he could both do as a guitar player and as a musician in the studio. So here he is, James Petrali. The song that I've chosen is um, That's It for the Other One by The Grateful Dead. Um, came out in 1968 on a record called Anthem of the Sun. The other day they waited The sky was dark and faded Solemnly they stated He has to die I heard this uh, my first semester in college um, which was, you know, a, a transformational period, just uh, in general, I think for for everybody. Um, and uh, I was I was <laughs> driving. <laughs> I, I was uh, actually riding in a in a in a friend's car, and and he put on the cassette. I, I had heard the Grateful Dead before. I'd more heard of them, um, and didn't really have the have the patience to get inside of it until this song, really. Um, so. Yeah, we were just driving around and um, there were all these crazy textures just kind of like whirling across the uh, stereo field and, and um, yeah, it was just a really um, encompassing, overwhelming almost experience to hear the song played really loud um, while driving. It just felt, um, you can, you can kind of tell when you listen to this recording that it was the first time that anything like this had ever been tried in a, in a studio production. 
Um, there were just different things being cut together and, and overlaid, um, different performances from the band uh, that you know, it's basically, it can be a little bit harsh from, from section to section, it's kind of like a suite. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's just um, multiple live performances kind of layered on top of one another um, at a certain point in the recording, and then this, this really strange textural kind of, um, you know, avant-garde kind of experimental thing that happens in there as well. They actually um, took multiple performances, multiple performances rather. Um, oh, multiple like concert performances. Concert performances, and then and then brought them into the studio environment, and combined them with a studio recording, and then laid over like you know um, different, actually different shows, um, stereo recordings of the same song. So it has this really. Um, you like know, laid the stereo recordings of like the same part of the song over uh, the same part of the song. Exactly. And- take that in the on the right side of the stereo field and and just like move it over to the left side and then another thing would replace it in the right side it's a really psychedelic like um bizarre i've uh, never i mean you're you're like i've actually never heard of that being done i mean i'm not a like a grateful dead i don't know a lot of grateful dead but like i've never heard of really anyone doing that it sounds crazy it is it's really intense we uh we actually tried to do it at one point, um, we we had a friend record uh, a, a European tour, and um, we came back and then tried to accompany ourselves, and then lay in all these shows, and it was it was a disaster. So there, there's probably a reason um, why people haven't really done it uh, that much. But but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of put this this production on par with you know Sgt. Pepper or anything um, that was you know really groundbreaking studio recording at that time. Well, and. Wow, so white denim actually tried to like yeah, to tried, like recreate this. We tried to this. do it, yeah. Oh. yeah. Um, it was, you know, there there I think there's one one song that that made it into the public um, from that experiment and uh, I don't know if it ma- it didn't really make a lot of noise. I don't What song is it? Uh, it's a performance of Street Joy where um, we Yeah, we we just took um, took uh, it was basically one show that we did in London um, and we kind of turned the audience into an instrument in uh-huh. in the uh, in, in the recording um, and that was kind of like the coolest thing that that came out of that is um, we'd take the the cheering from the audience and, and filter it and run it through some delays and oh, cool kind of spin that around the stereo field I mean, were you playing music when you heard 
this I song had, in college? I had just started. Yeah, <clears throat> like I, I I got my first uh, guitar um, somewhere towards the beginning of my senior year in high school, and and um, was really kind of just digging into it. Did did hearing this did it make you want to like play guitar differently or write differently or approach music differently or was it more about like one day I want to record in this way? I mean, I don't, um, I, I don't I know if you, you I hadn't know. really thought of recording so much. Um, that kind of came, this, this is one of those things that, that made me really interested in, in, in how things are put together in a studio, how, like the possibility of that space. Um, but I, I think that I just, um, I always just wanted to be able to jam with my friends, you know, and I, I had a couple of friends, um, Josh uh, Block, the old drummer from White Denim. Um, we became friends and I, I really admired his playing and I just wanted to be able to jam with him. Um, and the more kind of psychedelic textural stuff that is happening throughout this record um, made me feel like that could happen really quickly. Like if, if I learned, if I learned how to make delay and reverb and all these like textural kind of things work, um, then I could basically play with whoever I wanted to. You know, that, that kind of seemed like... Because it's not about necessarily about like uh, technical prowess yeah, yeah. playing on the guitar, but it's about knowing how to make sounds. Exactly. Which yeah. is, um, which kind of made you more confident that you could, yeah, you could which, do it. Yeah, which, you know, it's, it, I think that that really kind of steered me into the studio pretty heavily as well. You know, um, I... I developed a, what I, I think is an ear for, for that kind of atmosphere. And, and um, yeah, I just I, I felt like I always kind of had something to offer in that realm, you know. Was, that was also part of what attracted you to that to the song when you heard it was, it sounds like it got into a really atmospheric place at some point. Like, yeah, well, like, the whole thing is just kind of dripping with it, you know. Like, yeah. Um, but, yeah, there, there is a moment where it's just... Um, basically like, like noise yeah like avant-garde well I don't, you know yeah i guess you could say that um yeah <laughs> i mean it's not noise rock yeah i guess, I guess like... I've, I've kind of been trained now to to not call it not call anything noise but yeah, oh really that, what's I, the deal I, with that i don't know i mean it's just kind of you know it's all music i guess yeah you know what i mean like um it's all it's all part of somebody's expression you know um and working with drummers <laughs> all the time. It's a, it's a really sensitive thing, I think, with a lot of drummers, you know. Oh, um, I'm married to a drummer, oh, you so are. I do know. Yeah. So he yeah. wouldn't, he wouldn't, you know. So uh, for him, it's ne like melody never, they can never create. I mean, you can create they melody can create if you tune melodies. your See, drums is, a certain way. The, yeah, this, but is that, why, this is why we yeah, learned yeah, to yeah. tiptoe just a little bit. <laughs> in case people don't know, I mean, often drummer, there are a lot of jokes in the musician world about how drummers aren't actually musicians, musicians yeah, yeah. Um, which is like total BS because drummers are probably in some way I mean if you think of rhythm as probably the yeah. first form of music they're probably if the most musical of us all if you're in a band and you're doing it right the drummer is the most important guy in the band yeah I think really attracted to and inspired by like the not only the way that they recorded it and the chances that they took but also by this kind of atmospheric place that they went to that made you feel like you you like yeah I get it and I can do that and yeah if I can kind of understand how that's made then I can really put myself out there as a musician absolutely yeah, yeah. 
That's pretty cool. I guess, and, and you know, uh, more than just as, as a musician, like it, it made me feel like I had something to offer that 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 wasn't necessarily like a uh, it's like a personal thing, you know. Like yeah, everything is valid if you're if you're coming at it with the right intention, you know. Do do you see any line between hearing this Grateful Dead song at 18 and the record that you're going to put out in March? Like, mm. is there any? I think that, I mean, there are definitely some sensibilities that I kind of lifted from from the Grateful Dead's early studio output. Um, you know, the biggest biggest things being, like, the, the textural aspects of, of what they're doing. But um, I don't know. I get, yeah, I... I at the at, at the bottom of it, you know, there's it's like, you know, blues based music, you yeah. know, um, and that's kind of that's kind of the jumping off point that that we share with with the Grateful Dead, um, like the basic. harmonic minor scale, I guess, <laughs> or like <laughs> or kind of modal playing, I guess, is to go like uh, to to go way into it. But um, yeah, there are things that that um, that Jerry Garcia did that that um, that I think are just awesome and and i told I, I totally do a lot of that stuff on guitar <laughs> or, or um, just like do you want when you when you like when people hear this white denim record like would you want them to have kind of a similar like whoa no. oh okay this no. is this record we made um with a guy named ethan johns and um he is very much about about just getting the band in a room getting a performance oh. um kind of thing so we we made the record on on a on a tape machine, uh, like a 16-track tape machine, mm-hmm. very few overdubs. Um, so I didn't have much of a chance to uh, to kind of do the normal things that I would do in a in a studio recording. Mm-hmm. It's just like kind of um, hole up with it and see how weird I could make it mm-hmm. um, with another producer, um, kind of in the in the driver's seat. Um, you know, I would throw an idea out there, and he'd he'd say like, "Go to the lounge." <laughs> you know, so um, you know, like, or we'd be, uh, you know, we weren't, we also didn't do very much pre-production, so. Um, so this is more about capturing the feeling of live performance. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. which which is hard to do in recording, and when you do it, it feels so good. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a very different process for me. I'm I'm used to like laboring over every little detail and in the studio even if we are recording on the tape you know just um just kind of having this meticulous level of involvement and um yeah this is the first record that that i've ever been a part of that was just like second take perfect get out you wow know, like, yeah kind of thing. <laughs> and it, you know it wasn't just the second take but it was like the second time that we actually played it together <laughs> that sounds like you did it like they did back in the day like, Way, but yeah, I mean, this guy, like, his his dad is is uh, is Glenn Johns, and and Ethan Johns's career is is really um, remarkable as well. But he he you know he grew up in the house with uh, that that you know like the faces were hanging out. Stones. His dad made "Let It Be." And what? Like rumors. His dad's one of the most <laughs> famous engineers of all time, and 
and he's really outspoken about like how records are properly made. He has this reputation for being, you know, pretty um, pretty hardline about about yeah. certain things, which which definitely runs in the family. Cool. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This uh, the tune that that's the single is is is. Um, I mean, that was like the scratch vocal take that that made the final thing. Oh, that's so cool. So it's, it's like, that's so oh, I was just I was talking to a guy so named. hard to get another take from oh, the guy. Oh, no. Yeah, I was like, can I get just one more? He's like, trust me. It shows the birth on a Yeah, the first single off White Denim's new record, Stiff, which actually debuted on KUTX. And now you can see why I was so impressed when he told me that that vocal was a scratch vocal. I mean, that vocal sounds good. And for those of you who don't know, scratch vocals are vocals that you sing in the studio really just to let the band know where they are when you're recording a song. I mean, most of the time, the idea is that you will re-record them later because they're made to be taken off or, like, scratched. So for a singer to be told that the scratch vocal is the one that they are going to use in the final version, like, that's intense. And this idea that James Petrali talked about, this idea that all sound and expression is valid, the older I get, and certainly the more of these podcasts I work on, the more I wholeheartedly agree with that idea. Before I go on, I want to ask that if you like the story, like the one you just heard, then please take a minute and head on over to iTunes and become a This Song subscriber. That way you'll get next week's episode with M. Ward and Dana Falconberry delivered right to you. And while you're there, please leave a rating or a review. These ratings help us with iTunes, and honestly, they make everyone at team this song feel really 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 good next up bayon he just released a record on march 25th called primitives i met him backstage at fun 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 fest and he chose a song that showed him the power of openness and vulnerability so here he is bayon Music that really changes me is usually like sad, really sad music that has great melody and, and honestly that makes me cry. Those oh. are my favorite songs and, and still still is ever since I was a teen, I guess. Um, so some of those songs that have stuck with me the most and that have really actually changed the way that I feel, uh, I, I would start with, with uh, God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. Something that's just such a tearjerker and just perfect melody and almost just perfect. It's a literally a perfect song. Might be the song, best song ever written. I may not always love you, but long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure about it. God only knows what I'd be without you. It is a great song. It was it was that something you heard when you were like a like a kid? I remember hearing it a lot as a kid. It didn't really 
it never really stuck with me as a kid. I think when it when I became a kind of obsessed with it was in P.T. Anderson's film uh, Boogie Nights. Mm-hmm. So kind of like the closing, uh, the closing sequence of that film, and it just really brings everything together. It works really well with the film. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice moment there. It works really well with the film. that it was seeing it in the context of that movie that made you actually like hear it hear it because the Beach Boys are one of those like omnipresent mm-hmm. cultural it, it's everywhere and you know you just hear it it's, it's everywhere without really hearing it but it sounds right. like when you saw that movie that's when you were like oh oh that this this song yeah I think that's when it popped for me yeah. and then I just couldn't stop listening to it and it really introduced me into just pet sounds in general. Just that whole record is very emotional and very commutative. He, he really like gives himself to the audience in that in that record. I guess I just wasn't made for these times. That's just what I love about anything that I love really musically is is that kind of. You know, really emotional and, and like almost overly emotional. I mean, I like a lot of music that it, that that is upbeat and and you know it can get you in a good mood and you know depending on your mood, I guess. But the ones that stick with me are always really sad. I don't know why. It's, it's well, weird. Well, I, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I think our culture, ourselves, we spend a lot of time trying to run away from those emotions or ignore them or like mm-hmm. not feel them so sometimes it's almost a relief when you when you hear a piece of music that makes you have like a bodily mm-hmm. physical reaction yeah. of sadness it's like i can i can feel mm-hmm. this yeah and it's beautiful and it's uh, yeah it's a good way to uh just have have all those things that are bottled up and are you know fast-paced lives just released and it's like when you hear a song like that that makes you that in touch with your emotions it's it's like you know, there's it's like crystal clear for a second you, you you that's what music does you have this under crystal clear understanding about things just for a very short period of time and you're like i get it i understand this this is okay it's all gonna be okay uh and then the song ends and then that's it and then you go back to feeling however you usually feel or you'd listen to the song on repeat over and like over me, again so you can yes. feel again and then you totally exhaust it Or when you actually heard God Only Knows and you started mm. listening to Pet Sounds, were you were you making music at the time? Like, were you playing an instrument or making your own music? Yeah, I was. I was definitely making my own music at that time. It was. I mean, I think it was when I be, really became obsessed with that record was when I was maybe twenty or twenty-one, and I was very, very much in a creative process at that time. I think there was a huge time for. Uh, what I've learned musically, I think it was a, just a huge time for me, creatively. I guess I think for a lot of people that age is, for a lot of artists that age is crucial. Like the early twenties, late teens, 
for me anyway was when I was like, I'm gonna do weird stuff. When I grow up to be a man. When you kind of understood like what you were looking for in hearing a song as far as like I want a good melody and I wanna feel this kind of like inner sadness. Mm-hmm. Did you then kind of take that into what you were making and say like I want to provoke the same feelings in other people? I think it just came naturally. I think it was it was both of them. I think yeah. around the the time that I started, I guess making really really making music. Honestly, when I started recording and, and putting things together, that was just something that I enjoyed listening to, and it was something I enjoyed making. Overly emotional things and overly honest, and never being afraid of um, showing yourself to to others and so being all right with being vulnerable to exactly others. Yeah. perfect yes I mean I feel like that's kind of what a lot of people are looking for when they listen to music right. because because when someone else is vulnerable then right you you're allowed to feel vulnerable mm-hmm and, There's uh, comfort in that. Yeah, and um, I'm not crazy, you know. Like this is this is <laughs> this is I, all gonna be okay. You know? I guess there is like a connection thing too. Like it's not just me who feels these right. feelings. Right. So so now you're kind of entering a new phase of what you're doing, mm-hmm. which is you're you're going away from your own name from Roger right. Sellers, and you're going into Bayon. Bayon, yeah, Bayon, yeah. There was this transition just because I wanted to have a, a difference between my, my you know, folky acoustic stuff and my electronic stuff. And uh, this was a good way to do it, was to have like a name change just for the electronic stuff. So so you'll still do folky acoustic stuff and that'll be Roger Sellers? In time, I think. I okay. think that I'm focused really on putting this new record out on the top of next year and touring on that. But, uh, you know, when I'm in the studio or I'm at home or... or you know, if I'm playing with friends or something, that you know, folk music is just such a its roots to me. So I'm never going to go away from it. I'm always going to be making it. But uh, Bayonne is going to be focused primarily on, I wouldn't say quite electronic music, but electronic instruments as a medium. I mean, a lot of a lot of the record that I'm going to be putting out is, I mean, I would say 60 to 70 percent of it is actually acoustic instruments, but it's. The way that it's presented sounds electronic. It's very rep- repetitious and like minimalist and just kind of builds. So it sounds like it was done with computers, but it's, uh, I mean, most of it was physically recorded. Well, how do you, I'd be interested to know how you insert like vulnerability and emotion into mm-hmm. music that's primarily, I mean, you said it's mostly acoustic, but like that mm-hmm. sounds electronic or maybe right. is more, um, rigidly defined in some way mm-hmm. um right do you is that a, is that a is that a struggle or is that just something that you've kind of learned how to do i think that uh this next record that i'm putting out it's called primitives um i was i was record i was doing all these songs live for a long time like six years or so uh, not all of them but most of them were they evolved and uh, my setup and the way that i do perform is very emotional and it's very active and 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 very uh vulner- vulnerable and showing the crowd your crazy side and kind of flipping that switch so that kind of just happened naturally it, yeah. it, it's not it's not the kind of music that's not all of it there's a couple of songs but that's that's just heart-wrenchingly sad but it has a lot of energy and it has a lot of emotion to it and it, it, it's 
very dynamic and uh, so it wasn't really a struggle it just kind of happened I didn't I didn't really um, I didn't really try to do anything I just did what I did what, what came naturally doing, yeah. right. Spectralight by Bayonne and that thing he said about there being some songs that make things perfectly clear for like the three and a half minutes that they're playing. I've just been thinking about that and thinking about that. I, I personally fall down major holes with songs and I never thought about it. Like, that's why I just am returning to feel this perfectly feeling. He talked a little about his live performance in the interview, but really, they are a thing of beauty. Bayon builds all the music himself on stage. Like he said, he uses a combination of analog instruments and electronics, and he has projections sometimes, and it really is gorgeous to behold. So, I'll put a link to a video of Bayonne performing on the This Song post for this episode, as well as links to his tour schedule. And hey, I'll do the same for White Denim. That way you can see the guys that you've been listening to. And then if you want, you can go see them in person. And that's it. We have come to the end of another episode of This Song. This song is a production of KUTX 98.9. This episode was produced and edited by David Sanger and me, Elizabeth McQueen. Art Levy recorded the interview with James Petrali and Jake Perlman recorded the Bayonne interview backstage at Fun 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 Fest. Antoinette Visando is our social media guru. Thanks to Peter Babb and Deidre Gott for all their help on the podcast. And yes, it's true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own excellent hardproof Afrobeat. You can email us at thissong at kutx.org or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Our handle is at thissongkutx. You can follow us on Facebook and you can subscribe to this song along with the other KUTX podcasts, Liner Notes, Song of the Day, and Austin Music Minute on iTunes. And like I said, we'd love a rating or a review. Right on. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. KUT's next AT Explained live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there.